Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Working for a Living, where we present opinions that matter. For the next 60 minutes, you'll be joined by co-hosts Jeff Brown, Terry Crowell Norris. We also expect a guest show to call in this evening, and I am your moderator, Leroy McKnight. Let me start with the announcements that we have. Uh, Number one, please remember to decline to sign any petition that you are presented regarding prevailing wage in the state of Michigan. Building Trades have asked us to get this information out as best we know how, and uh, decline to sign any petition is their campaign. Uh, They uh, are in a big fight about prevailing wage in this state, and it it benefits both union and non-union workers So please uh, remember, decline to sign. Uh, Next, I want to remind everybody that there are, as of today, two years and 50 days until the next UAW Constitutional Convention, worthy of note. We did have a little email. Uh, We had a few and uh, one comment. Uh, So let me read those. Uh, Thank you, Terry, for featuring an important and difficult women's rights matter on last week's show. You were so wonderful as you covered the story. Janice from Kansas City. Number two, uh, regarding Sunday night show, amen. It's about time these issues were brought to light. Bruce. Three, we had, uh, we like the flow and format of your new show, Edna from California. And we had one comment. Uh, This was, uh, uh, thank you, Terry Crowell Norris, for all the support. I feel way more comfortable she went on to say more, but it was more private, and that was from the woman who was featured in last week's show. She may be coming on this evening, so uh, you might actually hear her uh, talk about her dilemma there. So uh, let me bring on uh, Terry Crowell Norris, uh, waiting in the wings here, and uh, she's from Brook Park, uh, Ohio, and uh, let's welcome uh, Terry. Uh, Terry, welcome to Hi. the show. Can you, can you hear us? Hi, guys. Yep, I'm here. How are you doing tonight? Hi. Pretty good. Nice to have you on the show. Uh, let me get Jeff on here real quick. Um, hello, Jeff. Can, can you hear, hear me us? now? Hello. Yeah, I can hear I'm you. Fine. I'm good. Thank you. Right. Right. All uh, the three of us are on here live now. Uh, so, um, Terry, uh, if you want to talk about uh, your in the news items, uh, we each have two of those, so we'll. Uh, convey those out. If Terry, you want to start those off, uh, please go ahead. Well, I'm going to uh, focus on the, the one from the Detroit Press, uh, Brett Snavely reporting, and the uh, uh, upgrade to the Ford Tech Center. Uh, Ford unveiled sweeping plans today to re- redevelop dozens of buildings in Dearborn that house more than 30,000 employees in a project that will transform the automaker's presence in the city into two distinct campuses over the next 10 years. The project, which represents an investment estimate at more than $1.2 billion, is intended to give Ford employees the work environment and technology necessary to design and develop cars of the future. In some ways, a massive project in planning for more than three years is long overdue. In addition to its headquarters off of Michigan Avenue, Ford has an assortment of nearly 70 disconnected buildings along Oakwood Boulevard 
and many of those are more than 60 years old. While some are only a few miles from one another, it isn't always easy to get from one building to another. For many buildings, this was the first true renovation since they were originally built, said Mark Fields, Ford CEO. Ford World Headquarters was opened in 1956, and 60% of the buildings are more than 50 years old. This is a very substantial investment for all of us. Um, the 10-year redevelopment project will be spearheaded by Fordland, uh, Ford's real estate management arm and architectural firm, Smith Group, JJR. This uh, field goes on to say this is more than an investment in new buildings. It's an investment in our employees. It consolidates our current fragmented footprint and transforms it into two centralized campuses. When it's done, the Campus for Research and Development Center will include a new circular mod modern building that, according to Ford, will generate more energy than it consumes. All the buildings will be equipped with the latest environmental-friendly technology, such as geothermal heating, cooling, and the ability to generate renewable energy from the sun. <clears throat> Excuse me. When you look at the Research and Development Center, it will have a lot of green areas, that will link buildings with walking trails, bike paths, covered walkways. We will have autonomous vehicles and on-demand shuttles, e-bikes across the campus, Fields said. It will look like a very modern, forward-thinking company that takes sustainability and the environment very seriously. Ford declined to say how much it plans to spend on the project or if it will seek assistance from the state of Michigan which I'm sure that it will. Um, Steve Morris, a real estate broker and managing principal of Access Advisors in Farmington Hills, said the project easily represents an estimated $1.2 billion investment and reflects the automaker's confidence in its growth. It's a very strong statement about the commitment to community and future of the automobile industry in Michigan, Morris said. Um, Mark Wood, Chief Operating Officer at real estate brokerage firm Signature Associates, said Fordland has a well-established track, well track record of serving as a positive force for real estate development in Dearborn. This illustrates a commitment to maintaining their properties and keeping Ford relevant, Wood said. Fordland's mission never stops. It's always with a mindset of this. This is Ford's home and we will preserve and protect. Ford's decision to update its facility comes a year after General Motors said it will invest $1 billion in Foreign Technical Center and add about 2,600 jobs over the next four years. GM's tech center project will include new design studios, a parking deck for design staff, and renovation of a research and development offices. Toyota is also in the process of developing a North American headquarters in Plano, Texas, and moving many of its employees from Southern California. Ford's project includes the renovation or construction of more than 7.5 million square feet of workspace, studios, and labs. About 4.5 million square feet of that space will either be new or renovated space for research and development. Ford unveiled plans to overhaul its office research and development in Dearborn over the next 10 years. 
campus rendering courtesy of Fordland. Uh, that you can see there's a uh, photo online at uh, the Detroit Free Press. Uh, the centerpiece of Ford's product campus will be a new 700,000 square foot design center that will include new studios and outdoor design courtyards. Most of the existing Ford Research and Engineering Center campus, originally dedicated by U.S. President Dwight D. Eisenhower in 1953, will be demolished. However, 14,000 square foot design showroom that is part of the building will remain intact and will be upgraded to use an event venue. The number of employees in the Ford product campus will double to 24,000 as the automaker consolidates its workforce into a more centralized area. The automaker also plans to update the office space at Ford World Headquarters building and will build a building for its lending arm, Ford Credit. Most of the reservation, or I'm sorry, most of the renovations and construction of the new Ford Credit building will occur during the end of the project. Donna Inch, CEO of Fordland, said the renovated office space will include a 300% increase in collaborative workspace or conference rooms and open meeting rooms. Collaborative open environments in which workers are not assigned a specific desk or share or share a space with others. He has increased 82% of the company, of companies with more than 5,000 employees since 2009, according to a 2015 survey by the International Facility Management Association. There are certainly a fairly significant shift occurring in how people use office space to achieve specific goals. Um, let's see, that's about, oh, Ford's investment announcement also comes just days after the automaker says it plans to spend $1.6 billion to build a plant to make small cars in Mexico. Ford took a beating several days from the UAW, Republican presidential frontrunner Donald Trump, and others on social media for that decision, even though most other automakers are expanding in Mexico. This timing was driven by our decision over three years ago to look at our facilities, Field said. The work started on Wednesday and is not in and is not in response to any news or political whims. I thought that was pretty interesting, the amount of money being spent between America and uh, Mexico. It is indeed, yes. So we all know where that contract money went to. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that was a nice report, Terry. That was a nice report on that. That's a big deal, actually. You know, it uh, brings some some jobs in and uh, uh, and some renovations that uh, you know can secure the future uh, for Ford uh, members. Although, yeah, I most certainly don't one, think that they were, they're going anywhere with that sort of investment. However, uh, um, I'd like to see a couple uh, billion going to new plants. Here in America. In the, right. Yeah, in the U.S. Right. Okay. 
nice, nice report. Uh, is, uh, do you have anything else, or you want to just hand that off to Jeff now? I'm going to hand it off to Jeff now because I didn't get your email in time. So. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, uh, you did a nice job on it. Thank you. Uh, Jeff, you got uh, uh, in the news uh, a couple items that you have yeah. there? Yeah, we got a couple items here. Um, just so everybody knows, I'm a Ford employee, but we're going to be talking about GM and Chrysler here for the next couple of minutes. Um, GM, as everybody knows, is still hurting from the 2009 bankruptcy bailouts. Um, though they are posting a big uh, profit these days. But what they are doing now, and they seem to pick on one plant in particular every couple of years, and that's the Lake Orion plant. They are planning to move production of the Sonic from Lake Orion to, um, let's see, Kansas City. Fairfax, which is near Kansas City, um, that plant particularly makes the Chevrolet Malibu at the moment, which is a hot-selling car. The, the um, General Motors is going to ship all production of small crossover SUVs from Lake Orion to Fairfax, Kansas City. Um, I don't know why they keep picking on this plant. They were in the news a few years ago about um, new hires becoming full-time workers, and they transferred them to, um, uh, I believe it was Youngstown, Ohio, and it was a big blow-up there. It was uh, in the media. The people who went there were assuming they were going as first tier workers, but when they got to Youngstown, they remained at that second tier. So they were lied to. Their chairman wouldn't help them. The international wouldn't help them. So they just, they just constantly pick on this particular plant. And right now it is operating with less than a thousand people at Lake Orion and on one ship. So they do say that they are going to you're building a future uh, prototypes at Lake Orion sometime in the future, but they don't really give a, a date when that's going to happen. Um, then the second part we have, um, Chrysler is also in the news at, at um, Sterling Heights assembly plant, and they are laying off people there. That is where they build uh, Dodge Ram. So they want to build the Dodge Ram truck there. There's no timetable been established. But what they, the biggest point is, is that they're laying off skilled trade workers and they can end up at any other plant and be production workers. So I'm looking to see if if when these skilled trades members go to these other uh, locations, if they're going to lose their uh, skilled trades rate of pay, because we had that issue in the DeForge system back in 2000, 
eight, I believe. Um, we took some skilled trades members from Rossonville into the Flat Rock plant, and they had to be busted down to production workers, production okay. pay, and that was wrong. That was very wrong. When um, these guys busted their butt to try to learn how to do assembly jobs, um, they're used to doing trades work. They weren't used to being on their feet working with their hands every minute of the eight-hour shift. Um, but um, with the uh, delegate convention two years away and all this animosity between work going, Ford work going from Mexico uh, the work being moved from Lake Orion, this, all this stuff going on in Chrysler, it, it, it's, it's the Sterling Heights Assembly. The people rank and file need to be, be very careful and start investigating now who they should send to the next convention. It, it's not too early or not too late to start thinking about it. That is probably one of the most important elections that we have in the UAW. So I'm asking everybody, please take their time out. Support people. Get a, gather a caucus in your building and, and just fight the international on some of these things. Those guys downtown need to get out of office. It's time for the rank and file to stand up, take the orders, and put their foot down and says, we're tired of this BS. And that's, you know, a lot of that can, you know, I can stress a lot of people out. People have lost their homes over the years, their jobs. Um, there was also a little bit of news yesterday out of the Chrysler Jefferson North plant that, a lot of people don't know, but there was an intruder in the plant with a gun. It was on um, Channel 7 News, WXYZ, and they, the people seen him walking the plant, and he had the gun. They called their union reps. The union reps went out looking for the gentleman. They found him, and they held him until the police got there. Now, this individual was a former... Chrysler employee at that plant who was dating his, his girlfriend as a current employee there and they were having some type of problems and he he got into the plant with a gun and that Jefferson North has had several of these problems in the past with gun violence over the last few years. The last one resulted in uh, Lover's Triangle with uh, a shooting that was done by a, a union rep, and then he later left the plant, went to Bell Isle, and shot himself. Um, it's just sad what's going on inside the shop floor anymore. Uh, it's just a lot of bad news, and we need to change that because the international don't seem to care. Um, so that's about all I got, Leroy. Okay, Jeff. Thank you. Uh, a couple of com- couple of comments, real quick. Uh, 
and I'll get in uh, and wrap my news up, and then we have our special guest on tonight, so we'll get her on here in a minute. Uh, but a couple comments that, you know, the GM, so that everybody understands, the GM language uh, does provide for seniority to employees to get hired in a, a, as a temporary in another plant. So you could go from your top wage of 30-ish, whatever that is, uh, down to, because everybody's a little different depending on your classification, uh, and I understand that, uh, down to the 1540 higher end rate of a temporary if you get called as a temporary into another plant. And don't dare refuse that job because uh, you will uh, likely lose your recall rights. So, and the, uh, it's kind of sad that the, uh, uh, the folks are looking to get laid off at the Sterling Heights and then possibly go in with day one seniority in another facility. I thought that was all done and over with some time ago. And it is uh, unfortunate. We've, we've had a number of shootings, as you indicated, Jeff, notwithstanding the one in Flint where the man committed suicide right in the plant uh, a little over a year ago. Very sad, very sad stuff is going on. And this is, um, you know, uh, when you harvest the workforce to that degree, you start to have problems. I know that this might not be related to that uh, yesterday or the day before at that uh, facility, but... You know, it's kind of sad. Let me uh, wrap up my my uh, little bit of news here that I have. Uh, uh, you may or may not know that Verizon Workers, Communication Workers of America, went out on strike on April 13th. Uh, 40,000 Verizon workers. This is uh, one of the largest uh, strikes of uh, modern time. Uh, and this is uh, very interesting. Uh, Verizon... Uh, in a related story, come out afterwards and said that it has enough scabs to offset the 40,000 worker walkout with no problem. I would give you a word of caution, Verizon. That is a very bad idea because you want this to get legs? Just keep playing those games. Treat your people right. We'll do our job and everybody will get along. This concept that you think you're going to break a union every time you turn around is just not going to fly anymore. We are angry out here. So uh, one other thing in the news, um, uh, the uh, Department of Labor's broad interpretation of the Davis-Bacon Act has been struck down. Uh, they, uh, This deals with... Uh, effectively prevailing wage at the federal level and there are certain jobs that no longer fall within those parameters according to this these all of the links uh, from the new in the news portion of the show will be on workingforaliving.com tomorrow uh, uh, by the end of the day uh, so you can follow up if you want on the, all of those if you have more uh, uh, questions about that regarding that uh, so for now uh, we have uh, a woman that was featured on last week's show. Uh, the show is actually all about her. And I'd like to bring on uh, Kiki. Uh, let's get Sean here. There we go. Kiki, can you Hello. hear us? Yep, I can Hi, hear you. Hi, Kiki. Yeah. Hello. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming on the show tonight. Uh, and uh, if you have, you know, any any comments. Uh, 
about your situation, updates. We'd like to hear them. And, Terry, I'll let, I think I'll let you uh, follow up with Kiki. How's that? Yep, that sounds fine. Hey, Kiki, how are you doing? I'm doing good. So do you want to give a little bit of a background of what happened last week? Okay. The backstory to it. So with Orion, I mean, we were working our nine-hour shifts pretty much day by day. Then they notified us that they were going to start working us this 10 hours, which, of course, was over 10 hours <laughs> on most days. So I approached my supervisor to let him know that if we were going to start doing over the nine hours that I would have to go to medical again in order to pump just because I try to keep it every two hours. And, yep. you know, when I when I first came back to work, it was no issue with me pumping. And then manpower started to get a little rocky and they were having issues covering me because in most times my team leader is covering multiple teams. And so that typically ties her to the line while I'm gone. And once I told him, you know, that I would have to start going probably one more time with the increased hours, all of a sudden he came back, it was maybe like two days later, and told me that his boss was no longer going to support me pumping on their time and that I had to go during my break time, which... I'm sure you've explained the photo, the, you know, blood-filled breast milk. At that time, you know, I, I was new to the assembly line. When I, before our little layoff there, I was in the material department. So, you know, my, I, this is my third child with, with General Motors. And I, I've encountered issues each time, but usually they were solved pretty quickly. Um, uh-huh. I never had issues with blood in my breast milk until I was on the assembly line because, you know, it's just, I'm I'm a kind of a petite girl to begin with, and it's just it was incredibly strenuous, you know, taking that transition of being incredibly physical. So without having a team leader, you know, covering other teams and just being busy, I was I was getting extremely dehydrated and just I was eating nonstop on my breaks. So the day that he came out and told me, I literally had a breakdown line side I was hysterical crying like ended up having to go to medical and medical actually sent me home because I was so hysterical my boss didn't know that I was having any issues with it but and I mean and just I was worried I didn't know my committee man for production yet you know I mean it was only my third week back I think okay I was a little worried about getting the issue solved so, so, so what? Um, I know that we talked and after your post and and so on, and the committee person came to see you. Uh, was it the next day when you came back? Um, I did end up seeing him before medical released me that day, and we talked about okay. it. He was trying to get with them that day, um, but even after that, the next day when I came back the actual ship leader instead of my supervisor approached me and apologized for embarrassing me because my little, uh, I don't know, my little meltdown line side, you know, it was pretty embarrassing. But even then, she told me, (laughs) even then she told me that on days that manpower was bad, that they may have to ask me to go during my break times. So I was not at all okay with that just because like break time is literally my time to 
cram in as much food as I can and, and drink when I'm, you know, these jobs are no joke now. Like some, some jobs are so busy and you don't want to stop the line. You can't even take a sip of water line side. And I've never, ever had an issue like pumping like this. Like I said, this is my third child. Never had an issue before. So it was just, it was incredibly an emotional thing being told that I was going to now have to use my break time, which is when I go up front and I eat a bunch of food and, you know, try to prepare for, you know, getting my butt kicked all day. Right, right. So, so um, I did end up getting a hold of the community guy and telling him that, that she had approached me saying, you know, in those certain times when manpower was bad, which to me manpower has been pretty bad every day, that she was going to ask me to go during my break times, and I told him that I wasn't okay with that. So after him having another meeting with them, I I haven't encountered them ever asking me to go on my break, thank goodness. And so far it has seemed to be resolved. And, And we've had some pretty horrendous manpower days, and they've worked stuff. They've had to move people around, and I'm sure it was a big pain in the butt for everybody, but I've never had an issue getting up there so far. Okay. So has um, has anybody brought this up that I don't know if um, you've had a union meeting to this happen, but has anybody from the women's committee or your committee person made any effort to change or put in place a process to ensure that this doesn't happen again? And you know what? And I don't think it has. And I actually have I have an aware line number that my committee get, man gave me, and I that is one thing I do want to do. I want to uh, write up my story and everything that's happened, including you know past situations, because I've encountered it every time, and it was always when manpower became an issue. Then it was all of a sudden an issue that I was pumping. Right. So I have the aware line that I want to question to why. Also, why we have this facility that doesn't have a lactation room. There's many other facilities, like including Hamtramck, that have a lactation room outside of medical. So, so where where do they make you go? Uh, I to go up medical? to medical. Yep, and sometimes, okay. and, and this is the thing, like there's stipulations to like where they allow you to pump. In medical, they on a normal day when things are good, they sit, sit me in a room that's got a sink and everything, so it's all right, the door locks. When they have anybody that's ill, it's also the same room that they use when there's people that are ill. So whenever they have anybody in there and put in a room that doesn't have a working sink and it doesn't lock, the door doesn't lock. There's nowhere to place my pump, so I'm sitting it on a little rolly stool and it's just it's kind of a chaotic mess. <laughs> And, and I sent you uh, some information through the EEOC and National or Department of Labor Wage and Hourly that you know clearly defines that that they have to provide you know uh, a definite space for for this to occur. And um, hopefully, you know somebody will help you with that. I, I I would suggest again strongly that you get the women's committee involved. Uh, and Roberta was telling us, I think it was the last show, where their committee, uh, women's committee, got together and set in place a process to provide for young mothers 
So hopefully you guys will be able to do something like that. Yeah, it's crazy. In the process of, of going through this this last time, um, I know the second to the last child I had, there was another woman that was getting bullied, and I'm glad that she came forward and said something to me because I kind of, I, I don't know, I gave her that little extra backbone because and, and, she, was, she was letting them get the best of her. She was getting worked up to where she wasn't having issues producing milk and, like, just getting stressed out about, you know, it's not, it shouldn't be a stressful thing. No, so, it should not. In that aspect, I'm glad that I was there, and I'm a little bit, I mean, I'm, I keep to myself, and I'm pretty shy, and, and don't like to make waves, but, like, when it comes to my kids, I don't know why. Like, I don't get pushed around when it comes to that sort of stuff. So, well, I mean, also, also you, you know, you do have rights in the workplace outside of, you know, the national agreement, which I don't think I've ever seen anything about uh, uh, women's health issues in the national agreement which, again, goes back to the fact that we are still in a male-dominated system that doesn't mm-hmm. address such issues. Um, I, I am surprised that medical is not uh, taking a stand on any of this and helping you because I don't know about your place, but our place, the nurses are UAW. Yeah, they're really, really supportive, and I know like they were very frustrated with the issues. Um, what labor likes to say is that there's women abusing it. So I don't know what the, the, how long we women are. have been up there. Yeah, I know. I I don't know. It's just you and know, it's always a manpower I mean, thing. It's just stupid. Yeah, maybe they abuse the manpower thing. <laughs> you know, um, th- right. no matter what, they're always going to put it back onto the workers. So the only thing we have is contractual language and language out of the NLRB and EEOC. You know, uh, again, I would talk to the nurse and and get with the Women's Committee and, you know, try to push this a little bit forward because what, what I see across the United States right now are a lot of younger people coming into these plants. And this is going to not, this is not going to be the last time. I'm certain of that, you know. So hopefully, with your help, we can get some language, uh, some process in place through whether it's joint programs or the medical department or where, wherever, you know, because most certainly that should not that should not occur. And as far as you know, abusing it, I mean, I, you know, what do you, you know, how do you say that? Oh, you have no idea. The the last child I had when I was nursing, labor got right down to it and said that I can go during my break times, but beyond that, they will only give me 20 minutes two times a day to pump. So they were giving us, and there was another girl pumping at the time, they were giving us medical passes. And I told her, I was like, if it's important to you, let's be a pain in the butt. Take as much time as you need to, to get out what you need to get out and let them have to deal with manipulating our hours. If they want to dock us, let them dock us, and then we'll take it from there. And, like, she was too – I think she was a little bit too timid to do it, but I, of course, I took as long as I needed to, you know, however long it took, which wasn't very long. Typically, I was – including walking up there and back, it was probably about a half an hour each time, right. and I try to go every two hours. So, you know, an eight-hour shift, it was three times a shift. And – 
And see, I was nice about it. If I was done up in the cafeteria or something and I still had 10 minutes left in my break and I had nothing going on, I'd go up and start just to have that extra, you know, re- like relaxation, you know, not have to, like, worry about rushing. Uh, but they, nothing ever came of it, like the harassment of them docking us. And I, you know, I wasn't in a rush. I was, If that was what it came down to, it was more important, like my choice to only nurse my child it was important to me. So even though they threatened well, it, they, they never docked my pay. Yeah, Kiki, this is Leroy. Uh, I just, uh, you know, given the Flint water situation, I, you know, I, I commend your decision to nurse your baby because uh, you wouldn't want to put any of that kind of stuff in the, in the formula. Uh, but I have a different uh, take, a little different take on it in addition to what you both have said here. Um, you know, I was horrified when when I saw blood in the milk of an infant. And typically, you know, there's only so much uh, milk to go around for an infant, you know, from a mom. Mm-hmm. And if you were disallowed to to go and do what you need to do for such a period of time that blood started to come into the milk, one, it's horrific. Two, over my lifetime, and it started with me when I was a child having tonsils, I threw up after that surgery. And I always questioned why. And now as an adult, I question why I don't, just because I'm under anesthesia. Why didn't I throw up? Oh, that's because you ingested blood as a child when you had tonsils. And that caused you to throw up. Humans, when they ingest blood, throw up. Let me take that one step further. Infants, when they ingest blood, will likely do just as a a child or an adult would do if they ingest a lot of blood, they will spit up. They'll just vomit it back up. And that's their nourishment. So Mm -hmm. if given, yeah, if given this tainted milk, an infant could throw up, lose their nourishment, become dehydrated, and a single unwitting mom or a married unwitting mom that just simply didn't know that that blood in the milk caused that could cause serious problems with the infant up into and including death. Now, I want to admonish each and every no good that was on the decision process for this woman to get to that point. You folks had better pay attention to when this stuff needs to get done. It is wrong as rain to have a woman who's made this choice to feed her baby in this way to get to a point where blood is expressed into the milk. That can cause serious damage, and I hope if something ever happens to a child that the parties responsible are brought up on charges, out in civil charges and criminal charges, for mm-hmm. doing that to people, the women for this. Now, that's a little different take, but it's it's cogent nonetheless. It's very important. So uh, if you have anything else, uh, please feel free to, to, to say it now. Uh, if, if we do have some other things to cover on the show, Kiki, uh, but if you would, 
Um, no matter what, stay on the line because I do have one question off air for you, if you don't mind. Okay. Uh, but you're welcome to uh, contribute a little more. Terry, do you have any more questions for her? Or Kiki, do you have any response to anything I just said or whatever? No, I just want yep. to thank Kiki. I, I know that um, it, it's not easy for people to speak out, and it certainly isn't easy for people to speak out on uh, social media or get on the radio and, and talk about things like that. But I think it's important, and I think that, you know, anything that you you work at for, uh, toward resolving this problem forward is going to help a lot of women in the workplace in manufacturing, you know, our job is tied to an assembly line. So, mm-hmm. you know, while you're trying to be, you know, uh, you know, a good employee, there are things, you know, that do happen. So I think it's important that um, wherever you go from this point on to know that you are helping a lot of people. And I appreciate that. Yes, that is definitely one of my goals. I want to, I want this to be, you know, uh, one of the demands in the in the national agreement, just above and beyond, you know, the federal law. Because reasonable break time is what they're giving me, and that seems to be, you know, subject to interpretation. Right. So of I just, course, I don't want this up. to happen to anybody else. It's frustrating, you know. It should be, you know, it's ba- it's bad enough that we got to go back and miss our babies. It's not a good thing to stress about, you know, if you're making enough to to nourish your child. So, yes, I hope. Well, thank you, and keep us keep us uh, updated as as how things go as they develop. Um, we'd be interested in that. All right, thanks for having me. Thank yeah, you. Th- thanks, Kiki. H- hang on, just uh, just a little while. I'll I'll put you on mute for the moment, but you can listen to. So the rest of the show here, if you want, and I have do have a question off air for you. So uh, okay, uh, but th- thank you for everything you're doing. You know, it could be any one of our daughters or granddaughters in the same situation. So thank you for your activism very much. Yep. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, uh, next uh, next up, we have our uh, issue about competitiveness. Uh, and we've talked about this uh, quite a bit throughout the week because of the uh, transfer. General Motors transferred some uh, production work from Michigan to Kansas. Uh, they announced that uh, this past week, and uh, we got in discussion about uh, competitiveness and how that actually is in the contract. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit of the contract here uh, regarding that. Uh, And this was from the tentative agreement, Appendix K. And then we'll open this up for discussion uh, between the three of us here. Uh, And so uh, this is a memorandum of understanding uh, local inputs uh, to creating and preserving jobs in General Motors. and I'm not going to read it all. I'm going to kind of get uh, some of the excerpts here that are important. Uh, the parties recognize that such job creation and preservation can only be realized within a work environment which promotes operational effectiveness, continuous improvement, and competitiveness. Uh, the parties have pledged to uh, continue working together consistent with the understanding of other provisions of the national agreement to enhance the companies competitive position. Um, To that end, 
the local shop chairman, chairperson, and I'm sorry, the local shop committee chairperson and the plant manager or their designates will serve as resources to and local subject matter experts for national, uh, the National Sur uh, Sourcing Committee with regard to sourcing issues. Uh, by doing so, local parties will continue to play a key role in assuring that plants are a viable, in a viable position when uh, to insource work when opportunities arrive. At the national level, the parties will continue to support the operation of the various business review teams, as described in Document 16, as well as sourcing review teams and that function the sourcing review team that functions for GMCH locations, uh, the BRT and SRT serve as important an important purpose for identifying and discussing creation and retention of jobs. I guess I'll throw this out and I'll ask the question of Jeff and Terry. Um, do you think and this is along the lines of whether the National Labor Relations Act has been violated. Do you think that the committee body ought to be a part of the decision process to make the company competitive, or do you think they should just be made aware of such activity by management and then bargain it on behalf of the membership as a, uh, an item of uh, bargaining, collective bargaining. Should they be part, does that make them part of management as this decision is being made? I guess I'll throw that out. Which, uh, Jerry or Jeff, which one do you want to jump in first? Uh, I, I, if Jeff don't care, I will. I'll make this comment. We okay. have an entire joint program that is dedicated to sourcing. That sourcing is supposed to be job security. Job security means to help preserve jobs and grow jobs within our plants in the United States. As far as I knew, it was still in there and still in the national agreement. Um, so this language very much uh, takes away from job security for future uh, workers. I know that uh, we, we, we posted a, a advice memorandum on what happened with Boeing, and uh, all we can do is continue to fight it. Why we sign agreement kind of language in it is, is beyond me. We, we've tried to tell people, you know, look at the language that uh, doesn't talk about money and you'll see where the dirty details are. And this is one of them. Jeff? I remember um, I'm originally hired in at Sitz and Mazda plant. In 1997, we were given the opportunity to either in to become Ford employees or remain Mazda. The choice was if you don't vote in and become Ford employees, it would shut our plant down in 1997 because Ford was pulling out 
the Ford Probe and the, and the Cougar. And so naturally our plant voted in becoming Ford employees, and we kept our seniority when, when we hired it at the Mazda plant. Now, during that time, the first few pages of the Ford National Agreement, Volume 1, there was language in there that said the company would, could, would not be allowed to whipsaw one plant against another. Okay, so that's, that's, that was 97. In 2007, our great uh, UAW president at the time, Gettlefinger, if you all remember, he wanted every plant in the entire system, the big three, to come up with this competitive uh, contracts. Well, you use the word competitive, and now you've got what we're seeing now is plants, the local plants are now being whipsawed against each other, and they're using the plant leadership in every building. If they don't get enough what they want out of one plant, they'll shut it down and they'll transfer work to another. And this is just another way of the union allowing whipsawing within our in our facilities, that's my opinion. And the answer that you have, the question that you asked, is hard, really hard to answer. Part of me wants to say yes, and part of me wants to say no. I don't like any type of whipsawing. Um, at the time, 2007, Fort Motor Company and their skilled trades department had over 107 different classifications. Well, they didn't need 170 classifications. They still had typewriter repairmen on the books. They had uh, several other people on the, on the books that the technology was no longer there. But they still had one blacksmith at the Rouge plant. So they had to keep that classification until that gentleman retired. And this is in 2007. They had one blacksmith. So they, they cut out a lot of competi- um, classifications in the skilled trades in the 2007 agreement in the Ford system um, because they wanted to be more competitive. And I don't, this is just plain whipsawing. I just think it's wrong. Um, no, we put two ways about it. It's it's just whipsawing, and and the people, the membership, doesn't understand most of this. They don't understand if they vote in, like last past contract, how it's going to affect them. All they see was the money. Um, I'm totally against what what they're doing. It is it is whipsawing the plan. And that should never be happening in the UAW, in the Big Three. That's my take on it. Well, they've been whipsawing plants. They've been whipsawing plants for 
30 years now, so they're pretty well well skilled at it. Yes. That that would just mean that the union has been whipsawing the plants for 30 years. And even though in 1997 the contract said the company wouldn't whipsaw, but the union has allowed it, they have been responsible for whipsawing the plants. Right. To me, that the, should not be their know, job. Yeah. Uh, up up to now, management's done most of the whips on. Uh, by the way, uh, we're we're working off of the General Motors language, but all three of the right. Detroit Three have this language in it. Uh, just we're just using this mm-hmm. as an example. Uh, as right. we do that as an example, you know, uh, the management rights clause at General Motors, paragraph eight, uh, says they have the right to hire. Uh, right, to hire, promote, discharge, or discipline for cause, and to maintain discipline and and efficiency of employees is the sole responsibility of the corporation, except that union members shall not be discriminated against as such. In addition, the products to be manufactured, the location of the plants, the schedules of production, the methods, processes, and means of manufacturing are solely and exclusively the responsibility of the corporation. Yet and still, Appendix K has asked the chairpersons to come in and be a part of the making the corporation competitive. Uh, if you're charged by contract to make the corporation competitive, that means when they make the facility competitive by reducing staff, our members, that is, then are you obligated to the corporation to make it competitive or are you obligated to the members when they harvest the workforce and should you write a, a speed up? That ties in with what we said two weeks ago at, on our uh, inaugural show uh, that they failed to write speed ups in the, in the committee body. Well, it seems as though no wonder they're failing because they're charged by the corporation and the contract to uh, – Make them more competitive. Okay, Uh the National Labor Relations Act never says it, but it's implicit in its nature. And there's been many articles uh, written, journal articles by lawyers on the matter of uh, is uh, the national does the National Labor Relations Act require unions to act in the best interest of the members? And the answer by all of these scholarly attorneys and, quite frankly, by the National Labor Relations Board, when I ask them, is a definitive yes. The union's required to be uh, beholding to the membership's interests and not the corporation's interests. You know, having said that, we all know that we, you know, we want a stable job environment. We don't want our jobs going away like they're going to Mexico and overseas all manner of different places uh, or even to, you know, a facility uh, in the United States that might be paying half wages uh, that's either union or non-union. We want to try and protect our high-wage jobs without question, but should we put ourselves in a position where these chairpersons go and uh, participate in making up a report 
which is then sent to this national committee for review for any work that's to be insourced. Did you, you know, did you grade well enough? That's not the, that, you know, by their own definition of the Manager's Rights Clause, that's not for members or our elected representatives to be doing. That's for management to be doing. And for us to grieve it if and when that then occurs. That's my take on it. Um, right. Everybody listening and, and the people, you know, I mean, uh, Terry and uh, Jeff here. That's just my take on it. I mean, I, I just don't think we should get in the process of, of having this work be whipsawed between us because of things we're doing. I just I really have a problem with that. Well, I don't think people understood when they went from a modern operating agreement to a competitive agreement what the ramifications were. And I think, as we see with the national agreement and as our local go through agreements, you know, you have to pay attention to the language. The money that they throw out front is just a care. <laughs> just a carrot and you know when you start reading into these uh, contract books and are able to get them figured out uh, you you see what that exactly means so talk about due diligence you know talk about due diligence I don't think that uh, you know especially if they put it out there, and two days later, here, vote on that. Well, you were up there negotiating for six months, and now you want us to go through it, you know. So, although it was pretty easy seeing as how they struck out so much of the language. Right. It's uh, It's been changed quite a bit. There's a lot of, they must have had a lot of angst over that on the issue that we're talking about here this evening. But I still don't think they addressed it in a proper way. You know, we, we can... No. We can hold the company to an account without being part of the process. Uh, and uh, I think we ought to be worried about not between us, but from uh, bring in re- resource uh, re- uh, these jobs, insource them, uh, and, and get them back into our plants uh, from these uh, job shops that are around and, and, and back from the foreign countries that have these jobs. You know, uh, uh, repatriate these jobs. Get them back here. So having said that, uh, is, uh, can we come to consensus on this and, and uh, simply say that uh, the union has no business participating in grading the plant for efficiency? What, what's your thoughts on it? Can we come to consensus on that? as a failure of this contract? Yes. Oh, I agree. Yes. Okay, so we have consensus with the three of us agreeing that that's the case. Um, uh, there, uh, we'll, we'll close that issue for now. Uh, there's one thing Jeff touched on it, and it's been brought to my attention by uh, uh, one of the uh, brothers uh, listening in tonight. Uh, Art Peterson listens in, and he has something for us regarding uh, the selection of delegates. It appears as though at the Ford Local 600, uh, the convention may be two years away, but the delegates for that convention are chosen by the general council delegates. And those general council delegates are being elected this month 
and all local union members should question the candidates for those uh, general council delegates on how they would choose their convention delegates. In other words, when you choose a general council delegate for, uh, you know, try to elect them in the next month or so, when this election takes place this month, consider the following. Are you going to elect somebody that supports the IUAW or opposes some of the things that we've been talking about and the balance of things that we've yet to, got to get to yet, So, and we've talked about in all of these contracts. So at, especially at local six, 600, rather, uh, give that some consideration as you select your general council delegates who will then, in turn, two years from now, select the constitutional convention delegates. So consider that. Uh, I know we're getting close on time here. We're probably a couple minutes over one minute over right now. I'll throw it out to, uh, uh, do either of you have any more to add tonight? Anything to say in closing? No, I don't. I'm going to have to get, get going here because I have to get ready for work. So. Okay, fine. Uh, Jeff, do you have anything? No, I'm, I'm good for the moment. Um, okay. Well, well, having said that, as you know, I mean, we, we're all... Uh, uh, just amateurs at this. We work, and, and uh, we've worked in the plants for a long time or retired as myself. Um, so having said that, uh, if you found value in this show, please tell just one more person about it so they might, too, enjoy the value of this show. Uh, to all of our friends in Brook Park, Flat Rock, Tonawanda, Lordstown, Flint, Pontiac, Detroit, Lansing, Chicago, Kansas City, St. Louis, Wentzville, Chattanooga, Doraville, and California, and everyone else around the country and around the world who listen. Good night, and have a safe week. Thank you.